Well, it's Resurrection Sunday. Come on, you're a little... It's Resurrection Sunday. You know, we, we had a Saturday night service with a couple hundred people. We had the last service with about 300 people. And now we have people in the overflow room from this service. So pretty cool. So if you can see me in there, we're glad you're here. Sorry that you had to be in there, but that's the way it goes. All right. Now, uh, in our culture, we have a tradition with Easter. I don't know if you did, but when I was growing up, I got an Easter basket. Did you guys get one? And I loved Easter baskets, jelly beans, colored eggs, and, and chocolate bunnies. And so... Uh, I didn't like the marshmallow ones. I liked the chocolate ones. But uh, what I felt, and I feel this way, adults get ripped off because we're giving it to all the kids and we get nothing ourselves. So I have four chocolate bunnies to give away. So here's the first one. Who goes to the oldest person in the room? Who's over 80 here? Anyone over 80, raise your hand. Yeah. yeah. You wish. This is one pound of chocolate, by the way. Okay. Let's go with 70. I talked to a 71, 72. Raise your hands. Well, there's somebody back here that raised their hand already, so you lose, buddy. So, okay. I'm sorry. This one raised their hand first. But don't worry. There's, there's more to come. Okay. Who, who has the guts here? And this takes guts. Who, what man has the guts to admit they're only here because their wife made them come? No, you have to be married. Okay. Anyone here that has the guts? So all, you're telling me all you guys chose to be here on your own. Oh, there we go. Okay. Finally, a man who has some guts. All right. So next week, you get to choose to come on your own. All right. Let me, uh, who's a first-time guest here? Raise your hand. First time. First time right there. All right. Come see me. All you guys, come see me afterwards. I'll give you M&Ms, okay? All right. There you go. And, uh. Here's one back here. First time? Okay, here we go. Good. Good to see you. Okay. I'm so glad you're all here. And uh, how many know that Easter is really not about jelly beans, Easter eggs, and all that good stuff? It's, it's a nice touch, but that's not what it's about. This weekend is about the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And, and Jesus said in a couple of verses in John 11, this is what he said in verse 25. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, yet shall he live. And verse 26 says this, whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. And then he asks this question, do you believe this? So our theme today is called Rise Up. And here's a spoiler alert. Jesus died on a cross. How many know that? Yep. He died on a cross, and it wasn't a a pretty death. It was a a very ugly death. As he went to the cross, 
Before he got there, he was spit upon, he was slapped. He uh, had his hair pulled from his beard, hair pulled from his scalp. He was whipped 39 times. And then he was made to carry his cross to Calvary and uh, had splinters in it. And he carried as far as he could. And then he fell down and they gave it to Simon the Cyrene to carry it the rest of the way. When he got to the cross, they laid him down, nailed him up on it and shoved a crown of thorns into his skull. Then he hung there for six hours for you and me. And when it was all over and he said it was finished, he got placed in a tomb for three days. But thank God, Sunday came. Saturday came. Sunday came. Three days later, he rises up from the grave. And as he does, as he's raised from the dead, I want you to know he becomes the savior of the world for you and me. But maybe, just maybe, think about this. Maybe Easter is as much about your resurrection as it was or is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And the reason I say that is Ephesians 2, 2.1 says, we were dead in our trespasses and sins. In other words, we came into this world with a sin nature and no relationship with God, and all of us needed a Savior to infuse us with his power so we could rise up with his resurrection power and live the life we were created to live. Romans 6, 4 says it like this. Just like Jesus was raised from the dead, he will also raise us up by his power. And that's not just when this life is over, but it means to live in resurrection power. If you're a believer, to live in that resurrection power every single day that you can defeat the enemy in your life and live out the purpose you were created for. So today, we're going to talk about the tomb of a guy named Lazarus and how Jesus still shows up at the tomb of every Lazarus and brings resurrection life to every dead place he shows up at, if you want it. He is the resurrection and the life, so everyone can rise up from whatever we have hidden and buried in our lives. Okay, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just come before you and we ask that every person here would hear your word this morning. We ask, Lord, that their hearts uh, and their understanding would be open. I pray, Lord, that, that your word will come alive and you will speak specific uh, things to their circumstances, their situations, uh, Lord, that, that they will leave here different than the way they came in. I pray, Lord, that every demon in hell will be bound from its assignment against every person here and in this place. I pray your angels will be released to do their work and the Holy Spirit will be released to have free reign to draw people here this morning so that they can rise up and walk in the freedom you've called them to for the rest of their lives. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. Okay, John 11, verse 1 says, Now a certain man named, or a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary and her sister Martha. It was that Mary who anointed the Lord with fragrant oil and, and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Therefore, the sister sent to him, to Jesus, saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. And when Jesus heard that, he said, this sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Uh, 
Okay, you can write this down on your notes if you're taking notes. Everyone has had a Lazarus in their life. By that, I'm saying this. Every one of us have had something unexpected come into our lives where we needed God to show up and restore it, heal it, or make a way where there was no way. And by the way, the name Lazarus means the one who God helps or God is my help. That's why we love this story of the resurrection. If Jesus can rise up from the dead, he certainly can come through in my life and in my time of need to help me rise up. So Jesus loved this family, and he loved going to their home. It was just two miles outside of Jerusalem, and uh, he loved to go there to get refreshed. It was his favorite hangout. Uh, Lazarus made the money, supported his family, and he was a very caring guy. Mary was a great listener and liked to sit at the feet of Jesus and be able to be taught by him. Martha was a great cook. Aren't you glad for cooks? And she loved being hospitable to Jesus and whoever he brought with him. And uh, Jesus loved her cooking. He loved her bacon and eggs. He loved her steaks. He loved, uh, he loved the buffalo wings. He loved the peach cobbler. And then he liked to sit down and watch football on the big widescreen TV. No, just kidding. Okay. None of that's true except for the cooking, all right? But he loved the cooking. Truth is, though, Jesus loves his family, and they knew it. Now, their brother Lazarus is sick, so they send a servant to give Jesus a message, and they send it, I'm just imagining, on a little message of, uh, on parchment paper to which Jesus said, they, they said to Jesus, let's write, they, they were, they're talking, and, they're, and they go, let's say Lazarus is just, Jesus, Lazarus is sick. And then Mary goes, no, scratch that. Don't write that. Put this down. Lazarus, the one you love, is sick. That'll certainly get him, and he'll stop whatever he's doing and come to us. So the next verse, though, so I, I don't, it doesn't make sense to me after this because verse 5 says he loved them, and then the reason I tell you this that it doesn't make sense, I want you to also realize there's things in your life today that don't make sense, and God knows it, and he wants you to know he understands it. Verse 6 says, so when he heard that he was sick, he stayed there two more days and the place where he was. Now, that means, now verse six flows directly from verse five. So he loves them, so. That's like saying, I love Lois, so I make my bed. I love Lois, so I take out the trash. I love Lois, so. Now, if I were writing this verse for Jesus, I would have said something like this. Jesus, the one he loved, is sick, so he dropped everything and went immediately to Lazarus' house. But it doesn't say that. It says, he loved them, so he stayed in this place where he was for two more days. That does not make sense to me. There are some things that happen in our lives that are disappointing. There are things that, that, that don't happen on our schedule, and it causes us to shut down, lie down, and to give up. But I want you to know, Jesus shows up so you can rise up from whatever situation you're in. And I know this, every person here today needs to rise up. God wants to bring a resurrection in your life, whether you're a believer or an unbeliever. He wants to do that. Three things you need to know to get a resurrected life in your life. Here's the first one. We need to understand Jesus loves us enough to be late sometimes. Now, we've all had a Lazarus in our lives. 
a time or two that cause us to question who Jesus really is, his timing and his love for us. There's a book called The Five Love Languages that Lois and I read about 20 years into our marriage. We've been married for 46, and that's an absolute miracle. So around 26 years ago, we read this book, and, and I discovered that Lois's love language is service, acts of service, and quality time, which means Lois says, show me you love me by spending time with me and working on projects. Okay, it may not be all projects, but some projects, okay. And I must say, my wife is one of the hardest workers I've ever known in my life. So when we were first married, I didn't know that her love language was, in fact, I didn't know for 20 years what her love language was. So I thought Lois wanted to to be loved the way I like to be loved. My love language is physical touch and words of affirmation. So I just want to be hugged and told how much, how great I am, and then I feel love. And so I'm, I'm going around telling Lois how beautiful she is and touching her at every opportunity that comes my way, to which it drove her crazy. So we had some work to do on learning how to love the other person the way they needed to be loved. So yesterday I asked her on a scale from 1 to 10, when we were first married, uh, how would you have ranked me one being the lowest, 10 being the highest, how would you have ranked me on loving you by your love language? And she said, zero, absolute zero. (laughs) I said, okay, we're 46 years into this thing. How far along have I come? And she said, "Mm, I'll give you a six. Now, folks, that's worth an applause right there. I've come up six points in 46 years. By the time I'm dead, I might get a 10. You never know. Now, I tell you all that because Jesus has a love language. His love language is trust. In all my years of pastoring and studying for sermons, if you were to ask me how God receives love, I'll tell you, I tell you this. He loves to be trusted more than anything else. He loves to be believed. So when he says something, he wants you to take Take it not just at face value, but deep inside your spirit value that if God said it, I believe it, and I know it's going to happen. So he loves it when you have confidence and rely on who he says he is and what he says he's going to do. And one of the most difficult things in our lives is we often think God wants to be loved the way we want to be loved. So we often equate one of the ways I love to be loved is I like comfort. And I like to know that everything's going to be okay. But when I get in a tough spot, it's hard. So I equate love with God with comfort, while God equates love with trust and faith. So, And if we aren't careful and pay attention to the scriptures, we will conflate and confuse our human definition for love with this divine love. So to love means he wants to be trusted by us and He wants us to believe that he is who he says he is and will do what he says he will do no matter what comes our way. So out of love, Jesus, I want you to hear this, he's preparing his disciples and Martha and Mary for the cross and his death and his resurrection. This is a prequel to the sequel that's about to come. So at this point in the story, we begin to see the God we serve rarely keeps our schedule. 
And he wants his disciples to know his love language is trust because about 12 days after this story, he's going to be going to a cross. And he wants them to know when God isn't on your timeline and he doesn't make sense, you can still trust him. Come on. I want you to see this. He wants his disciples and Mary and Martha and us to know our God will not be manipulated or be moved just because we get in an uncomfortable situation. We serve a God who loves us and he loves us enough to be late for what we are asking him to do. We can learn to trust him and learn to love him the way he wants to be loved. So Martha sends a message to Jesus with a little manipulation in the note. The one you love is sick. So the one who took the message has one problem. He takes the message, he gives it to Jesus, and then he returns. Martha was expecting Jesus to be with this guy, and he was by himself. So do you know what it's like to be a person who you were not, who nobody wanted to see you? <laughs> he shows up without the person they wanted to see. And you can just see her going as he walks up she goes it where's Jesus well he, he didn't I don't know he didn't come with me well what what's the, why didn't he come I don't know so she sends this message and she gets put on red now so they didn't have they didn't have text messaging back then but how many know what red is if you know what red is r-e-a-d I, I didn't know what it was I heard somebody say oh he got put on red well okay or he got ghosted that's another one it's like, okay, well, what is, is R, I was thinking R-E-D, you know, like retired, extremely dangerous kind of, but, but red, red means that you read it and did nothing with it. So Jesus reads the message, and she's saying, Jesus, the one you love is sick. We've done things like, Jesus, I'm depressed. Jesus, I'm disappointed. Jesus, I can hardly breathe right now. Jesus, I feel all alone. Jesus, I need to know how to make this decision right now. Jesus, I need you to show my husband how to be a decent husband. Jesus, I need you to be my Prozac and calm my kids down right now. And you feel like Martha. He read her message but no response back. I've felt that many times. It's like you're praying a prayer and you wonder, did he hear that? Did he read that? And I just want you to know, he did hear it and he did read it, but he's on his own schedule. He loved them enough to be late. As a pastor, I hear these words periodically. I love you, pastor. I'll see you Sunday. How many would like to say, how many will say, no, don't do that. I was gonna say, how many will say, I'll see you next Sunday? Uh, so what, what they really mean when they, I'll see you Sunday is what they really mean. I'll see you some Sunday. That's what they mean. It doesn't make me feel loved, just so you know. And I have people who say, Pastor, we're with you in spirit. And I appreciate that. But I can't see your spirit in the chair. So Martha is hurt because she equated God's love with her circumstance and him doing what she asked him to do when she wanted him to do it. And if you allow the circumstances of your life to become the proof of God's love, you'll be looking for love in all the wrong places. So Jesus says, what could sound like a cliche, this sickness will not end in death, but for the glory of God. That's like someone saying, God, your provider, but he didn't send the check. So Martha says to Jesus, what's on her heart? Now, 
you can see. So they, they're going to get ready to come. And as they come uh, to, to uh, Mary and Martha's place, uh, Martha is upset because Jesus didn't show up when she wanted him to. She doesn't wait for him to get to the door. You ever seen a woman with an attitude? She's marching right out there. You can see it on her face. And she says, Jesus, if you'd been here, my brother wouldn't have died. And you can just gear it down, big shifter. Gear it down. We got, it's going gonna, it's gonna, it's gonna to work out all right. right. What I love about the Bible, though, is it gives us insight to hindsight. The insight of hindsight means I I know why you wrote the book because at the end of the book of John, it tells us that he wrote it so that we might believe. That's the insight of hindsight. And it's really powerful. But we don't live our lives with the insight of hindsight about every situation. I would like to suggest to all of us that Mary and Martha, who were mourning the loss of their brother in John 11, never read John chapter 12 especially since John didn't write it until 85 AD and Jesus died in 33 AD, which means they didn't get to read chapter 12. They had to live out chapter 11. Now, let me just show you something in chapter 11, verse 2. And let me warn you before we read it that it's in parentheses and you need to be careful to never put a period at the end of something where God has put parentheses. What do I mean by that? I mean that some things in your life, I want you to hear this, some things in your life will make sense after the fact that don't make sense right now. So it says in John 11 verse 2, Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was, a, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. Now the only uh, glitch to that is that didn't happen until chapter 12. In other words, That happened after this story. And the reason that he did that is because if you don't see yourself worshiping in John chapter 12, you don't have the strength to wait in John 11. I hope you get this. Right now, right where you're at, You've got to see yourself today. You need to see yourself, Jesus, with Jesus showing up at your tomb and see yourself healed, delivered, restored, and free with a testimony in your life. So this chapter is not the end. This resurrection and the life is showing up in your life today, and he has more for you uh, to do with your life, and there's a chapter 12 coming. I want you to hear that. But, and, it's all, and it's not going to end in death. It's going to end for the glory of God. So there's a saying that says, I got to see it to believe it. But God says, you got to believe it to see it. Like I said earlier, this little event with Lazarus was preparation for the disciples and Mary and Martha when the cross would come. See, in this story, they doubt the outcome along with Martha and Mary. And they doubted the outcome at the cross as well because they didn't see Jesus being resurrected from the dead. They didn't even see Jesus being killed, even though he told them over and over again, guys, I'm going to be killed. I'm going to put on a cross. I'm going to rise up in three days. And it was like it went in one ear and out the other. They didn't hear it. And then he says to his disciples in verse 7, let us go back to Judea. But Rabbi, they said, a short while ago, the Jews were trying to stone you, and yet you were going back. See, even though Jesus, listen, they didn't understand 
that Jesus was invincible until his assignment was complete. He wasn't going to die until it was time to die. And I want you to know, you're not going to die until it's your time to die. And I know there's accidents and all sorts of things happening, but I want you to know, you can trust God. He knows what he's doing. And they didn't, they didn't realize because the Pharisees had put a price on Jesus' head, he was still invincible. And they didn't know it. So you and I don't know what we're going through while we're going through it, but we are about to find out that whatever it is that you're going through, it's not unto death, but for the glory of God. Now, verses 9 through 14 tell us that the, Jesus tells the disciples, guys, Lazarus is asleep, and uh, we're going to go and we're going to wake him up. And uh, so the disciples say in this portion of scripture, they say, well, if he's asleep, he's going to get better. So why are we going back? You know, we're going to get killed if we go back. And I like the way. So Jesus in verse 14, it says this. So he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead, boys. (laughs) And I don't know about you, but don't you like it when Jesus speaks plainly? I mean, there's so many... I've been in so many sermons, so many big words, so many theological situations. It doesn't make sense. I need it to apply to my life. Okay, he's dead. I get it. All right. That makes sense that you want to go back now. Okay. Uh, I'm not quite sure why, but okay, he's dead. All right. Now, make it plain, Jesus. And everybody here has a Lazarus or had one at one time. And I'm not just talking about a person you've lost. It might be you lost a relationship. It might be something in your character that you thought would be fixed by now. And you said, God, please take away this addiction or take away this uh, dishonesty in my life, whatever it might be. And you said, God, show up in Grace Harbor at the place where I live, and it hasn't happened yet. Some people's Lazarus have been buried so deep that they've tried to forget about it so they could move on from the event, but they never process the disappointment. So how you process, listen to this, How you process the disappointment determines whether it becomes faith that propels you or fear that paralyzes you. And when you, so when you sent word to Jesus and he didn't come when you wanted him to, you have a decision to make. He didn't come when I wanted him to. And if he didn't come when I wanted him to, does he still love me? This is one of the rise up factors. I know that he loves me and I'm no longer looking for proof that he loves me because this love is not based on what he does. It's not based on action. But sometimes this love is proven by what he chooses not to do. So Jesus says, I'm going to wake him up. And I love Thomas's faith here. Verse 15. And for your sake, I'm glad I was not there. This is Jesus speaking to the disciples. So that you may believe. In other words, so that you can see another miracle I'm going to perform. So let's go to him. Then Thomas, also known as Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, okay, let's also go so we can die with him. <laughs> Don't you just love it? I mean, it's over, boys. If we go, it's done. Listen, rising up is the faith to follow Jesus even when you don't understand everything. Okay, here's the second thing. If you want a personal resurrection today, you need to take Jesus to your tomb. John eleven thirty four. he says to Mary, where have you laid him? He asked, uh, he asked, come and see, Lord, they replied. So Mary comes running. She gets to Jesus. She falls at his feet. But I want you to see something here. He says to Martha, and he's saying the same thing to you and I. When she says, if you had been here, he says, Martha, 
I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? She needed to hear that question. And of course she said, yes, Lord, I do. I believe you're the Messiah. When Mary comes to him, she falls at his feet and says, Jesus, if you've been here, my brother wouldn't have died. And then Jesus moved with all the people around her. They're all crying. And Jesus says, where have you laid him? And she said, come and see. And Jesus is saying to you today, where did you lay that thing that just about destroyed your life? Take me to that place. Not to the place that you let everyone else see, but to the secret place where you have not let anyone see, not even Jesus. And he's saying to Mary, take me to the place where you gave up. Show me where you stopped believing that I could do the impossible. Show me where you got tired and became disappointed. This place is not a physical location, but it's a spiritual one, an emotional one. And Jesus says, and he's saying it to you this morning, take me to that place. So Jesus is saying to Mary and to some of us this morning, I can't do a miracle until you take me to that spot. You need, where, where your faith gave up, lead me to the spot where you stopped believing. And everyone has a Lazarus and, Lazarus, and the question we need to ask this morning is, what are you and I gonna do about it? If you want to leave here with a miracle, you need to take Jesus to your tomb today, that place. And then it says, Jesus wept. And I, I, I just, if you ever wanna memorize the scripture, this is the one. <laughs> Jesus wept. And you and I need to know, though, before Jesus comes with authority, he always comes with empathy. He, he, he cries when you're crying. He, he, uh, he's there in your pain and your disappointment. He's always been there. And I couldn't figure out why Jesus had to go to where, G- where Lazarus was. He could have spoken a word and, and it would have been done. But I think it's because Jesus wants to come close to what everybody else would push away. And what you think everybody else would push away. And then the Jews said to him, see how he loved him? But some of them said, could not, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? And here's what happens to a lot of us. We get two voices. One saying, oh, Jesus loves you, like I'm telling you today. And then another one says, well, if he loved you, he wouldn't have let this happen or that happen. And I love what Jesus does. Jesus totally ignores all their opinions and all those voices and he goes and continues to fulfill his purpose. So he goes on to say in verse 38, Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. If you want a resurrection, if you want to rise up, here's a third point. We have to be willing to remove the stone. Take him to the place and then remove the stone. The stone across the tomb tells us Nothing is going to come in and nothing is going to go out. I'm shut up. I've got my heart closed and I'm so glad Easter tells us no matter what condition my heart is in, Jesus will be here to move the, help me move the stone and rise up and become the man of God I'm supposed to be. And then verse 39 tells us he told them to do something he could have easily done without them. He tells them to take away the stone. Look at verse 39. Take away the stone, he said. 
But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there's a bad odor for he has been there four days. See, Jesus could have moved it and let them just watch the show. But he was letting them know there's no resurrection in our lives unless we move the stone, unless we are willing to admit this thing's been blocking my life to be totally risen up for Jesus Christ. So our hearts remain a closed tomb, keeping dead things in if we don't move the stone. And of course, Martha said, Lord, if I move it, you know, he's, it's stinking in there. I just want you to know, the stench doesn't bother Jesus. And what we do is we get afraid to move the stone because we're afraid of other people see what we're really like. They wouldn't love us. Jesus will always love you. Look at his response in verse 40. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you heard me. And I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. And Jesus is saying, listen, I allowed, I didn't cause it, but I allowed uh, uh, the things uh, that have gone on in your life. I've allowed the pain. I've allowed the pressure. I've allowed the heartaches. I've allowed the troubles and the hurts that it might cause you to turn to me, that you might believe I am the resurrection and the life. And then verse 43, when he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. Other translations say, Lazarus, rise up. And the dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen, a cloth around his face. And Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. And that's what Jesus wants to do for you this morning. So this morning, I want you to meet somebody who had a stone removed, had the, had the grave clothes removed, and see what Jesus did in his life. Give a big hand to Dylan as he comes to share. Uh, thank you, Pastor Doug. Appreciate that. Hey, church. Uh, my name's Dylan. I've been coming here for actually God only knows how long. Uh, Pastor Doug asked me about a week and a half ago to talk to you guys. Sure enough, I haven't been able to figure it out. Uh, I was about nine, I think. Uh, he asked me to talk about my Lazarus. So mine actually started when I was young. I was about six years old. I uh, felt mentally and emotionally abused by my father. He uh, had a bit of a drinking problem, and I don't mean a bit. <laughs> Uh, I began to feel betrayed by a man who was supposed to teach me right from wrong and raise me. Uh, but he wasn't there for me. Uh, this led to some hate and some anger, uh, which ended up my mom and my dad getting a divorce. Uh, probably, actually, the best thing that ever happened. Shortly after that, I moved uh, to Grace Harbor, Aberdeen, during the week. Uh, and that's, that's when I started to meet people. I started to realize who I was. I had a neighbor actually invite me to GC, which was Generation Church back in the day. <laughs> I, I see some of you guys still hanging out. Uh, it's now called Harbor City Youth. Uh, it started at 6 a.m., which was perfect timing uh, because I didn't have any food in my house, actually. My mom, being a single mom, it was uh, not super easy for her to uh, support us. She did a great job, though. Uh, I wasn't actually old enough to come to youth group, funny enough, but uh, our doors were a little different there. I used to sneak in get a meal. Uh, I... <laughs> Uh, I, I started coming just so I could have a meal, but a passion started to grow in my heart for spiritual food. 
uh, food that wasn't served on the table, you know. Uh, at that time, Pastor Wes and Vanessa were the youth uh, pastors. About a year later, me listening and eating all the food, uh, I was finally old enough to sign up for camp. Uh, it was one of the nights uh, Pastor Wes was talking about the disciples being in the storm. Uh, this is when I gave my life to God. Uh, they said, don't you care that we're about to drown? Then Jesus woke up, I'm sure with boogers in his eyes like all of us, and he said, he walked up to the bow of the ship and said, peace, come over the land. And instantly, a peace and a calm came over their lives and the water. This is when I realized I needed Jesus to come to my tomb and in my storm. Uh, after he showed up in my tomb, things were amazing, way better, right? I knew Jesus. I was perfect. Well, not so much. Uh, it wasn't much better or much different, but I knew I wasn't going through life alone. I still didn't have much food or much of a home, but I did have a church now, and I had a north, you know? I, ha I found Christ. Uh, my earthly father has passed away, uh, but I found through Jesus a heavenly father who brought healing for my betrayal, my hurt, my abuse, and all the pain that I was going through. Maybe you're like me. I need Jesus to show up in your tomb today. Uh, Jesus showed up in my tomb with a neighbor next door. Uh, they say, why don't you come? Why don't you come check it out? So where am I at here? Jesus is my neighbor to bring resurrection. To, okay, so Jesus actually used my neighbor to bring resurrection for the things that I had lost and buried and I didn't want anybody to know about. Uh, I, but I let him unwrap the things that were hidden from my life. I hope today you do the same. With that being said... I don't know if you can see this Lazarus up here, but I want you to know that we left him in his grave clothes because even when you come to Christ and you remove the stone, then it takes God, his Holy Spirit, and people to help you get those things out of your life. But the main thing today that we want to talk about is you coming to know Jesus, just like uh, Dylan did. You have to remove the stone. You have to take him to the grave. You have to take him to the tomb where you've been buried. So I just want you to know with every head bowed, every eye closed, in a moment, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand to commit your life to Christ. It takes guts to do it. It takes boldness and courage because a lot of times people say it's not cool to do it. But I want you to know it all starts with a relationship with Jesus Christ. He died. He rose from the dead. So you can live with him forever. He came to forgive you of your sins, of your mistakes, and all your failures. And today is a day where he's saying, take me to that place so I can be your savior, so I can bring my forgiveness and my mercy and my grace to your life. You're not here by accident this morning. Jesus is right on time with your life. And I know many of you need Jesus as your savior. And I want you to know he's standing right next to you, sitting right next to you like he was with Mary and Martha and all their friends. And he's saying to you, it's time to remove the stone and let me come in and begin to unwrap the grave clothes that's on your life. And if that's you, I'm going to ask you right now, would you raise your hand and say, that's me. Raise them high. Don't hold them back. Keep them high so I can see them. All right, let me, 
Let me tell you how many hands I see right now. Keep, keep them high. One, two, three, four, five, six. Are there any more? Seven, eight, nine. Any more? Ten. See that? Ten. Okay, you can put your hands down. And maybe you didn't raise your hand and maybe you're watching online. But I'm telling you, today, Jesus' power has come to give you the ability to rise up and get a new life. And what we do here is we do it all together. We pray this prayer so that uh, we're all involved in this together. And just so you know, as you become a believer today, you're coming into the family of God and you're not doing this all by yourself. Say this prayer with me, everybody. Father God, thank you for loving me so much that you sent your son, Jesus, to die in my place. I ask you, Jesus, to forgive me of all my sins, all my mistakes, and all my failures. Come into my life and be my Savior, my Lord, my boss, my friend, and my King. And by your grace and by your power, I will serve you for the rest of my life. In Jesus' mighty name, and everybody said amen. Now, when you came today, there was a card on your seat, and uh, it's uh, got a place to put your name and uh, phone and email, and then there's a place to check off for a first-time commitment or a rededication. And if that's you, would you take the time to do that right now as we, as we sing this song? I just want you to listen to it, and then you can fill it out. Some of you won't be able to stay seated, even though I'm asking to stay seated because this song is so moving. But listen to this song, because this is what's happening to all of us. Thank you. 